I am so excited to announce that Chewy has partnered with me to bring this week's podcast episode to you guys. And the reason I'm so excited is because I have personally been using Chewy to supply my dog, Ranger, with food for over three years, which is way longer than I even thought about having a podcast. And so I personally love Chewy here. And the reason I love it so much is because they have such a wide selection of products. They have products for just about any type of pet you could possibly have legally. And they have a great program called the Auto Ship Program. And with Chewy's Auto Ship Program, you can set up a schedule for your pet's food, treats, or whatever you want to give them every single month to come straight to your door without you even having to place the order yourself. And you can even pick the frequency it comes. So for example, we get it every three weeks because that is how long it takes for Ranger to go through his food. And because I love AutoShip so much, I wanted to give my listeners a chance to try it out themselves. And so when you use the link in my description, you can get 30% off your first AutoShip through Chewy. And I think you will see why I have been using AutoShip for my dog Ranger for over three years now. It's just the easiest thing and now you get to try it for 30% off. Hey everyone, I just wanted to apologize really fast for not getting this up on Thursday. Right now it is Sunday, February 14th and happy Valentine's Day. And I'm just now getting a chance to edit this. This episode took a lot longer to edit just because my dog was in the background and I had to stop every so often. And I wasn't going to be happy with it if I had edited it on Wednesday, which is normally when I edit. And so I just wanted to apologize really fast and thank you all for being so very patient with me. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Don't Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley and in this podcast, we try to be advocates for unidentified victims to hopefully help them get their name back in the future. Originally, I was going to cover my first episode of the Walker County Jane Doe. I think it is going to be a two-parter just between me being emotional and all of the theories that come about with her case. So hopefully, I can cover that case in the future very extensively, but for now, I'm going to be covering an unidentified woman from Ottawa County, Ohio. Sometimes people call her the Sandusky Jane Doe, and some people call her the Ottawa County Jane Doe. And I will warn you all now, I have my dog in my office, and so he may be making some noise, but I'm going to try to edit out his noises. My husband is currently out of town at the time of me recording, and if I were to push him out of my room, he would cry at the door, and then I would not be able to film at all whatsoever. So this episode is going to be a shorter one, mostly because a lot of the articles I could find all had the same information over and over again, and it's all the information from the Her Namus profile, which is a good thing because that means that there isn't misinformation being spread around, and there's really not that many theories. I definitely wouldn't call this a larger case, but it has gotten media attention, which is great. A lot of Jane and John Doe cases just don't get any media attention. But with that being said, I'll just go ahead and get into this Jane Doe's story. 
The body of a white female was found in Ottawa County, Ohio on October 22, 1975. Two hunters were in the woods when they came upon a body floating in the creek called Mud Creek in Salem Township. And I do have to say, I can't help but notice how many times hunters find deceased people, whether it be someone who's unidentified or who is identified. It just seems to be where a lot of cases start. The woman is expected to have died on October 20th or October 19th because her post-mortem interval was 48 to 72 hours. But the woman did have brown reddish hair, probably more of an auburn color, and she was a five foot four and that they say it's an approximate height, but there isn't a range or anything. So I think it's pretty safe to say that she was probably five four. And she was approximately 140 pounds at the time of her death. And she had very poor dental work. It kind of seemed like she maybe didn't get the dental attention that she needed. And she also had spaced apart teeth. And so it was obvious that she didn't have any orthodontics work or anything like that. And in 1975, it definitely wasn't as common as it was today to get braces. But it was a thing and it was readily available. Her eye color was brown or hazel eyes. I'm not sure if this is because, you know, she had already been decaying. And I know water can speed up the process of decay. And so I'm really not sure why there is, you know, this difference in what her eye color should be. But it's she did have darker eyes. Unfortunately, she didn't have any identifying marks on her body, which does make it pretty difficult to identify a Jane or John Doe. She didn't have any tattoos or scars or anything, but they did find that she was a smoker by looking at her lungs. And they also say she had given birth to at least one child and possibly in the year before she died. To me, that sounds like she maybe had some more healing going on after giving birth, which is totally normal. It takes a really long time to heal. And so I'm assuming that's how they know that. Unfortunately, they do believe that she was murdered because she was found with no clothing on, but her cause of death was ruled as a drowning with a possible homicide as the manor and they believe this because she was found completely naked other than one ring on and she had a gold ring that looks like kind of a love knot they were really popular like two years ago and i still see people with them on if you have seen any of the jewelry commercials, you'll know exactly what I mean by a love knot, but it's really easy to find one. There are many people on Etsy and a lot of larger jewelry stores still sell this ring. But back in 1975, I'm not sure how popular it was. I do know that it did kind of surge in popularity fairly recently. And there are pictures of this ring that was found on her. And I do recommend that you look at it if you think that she may have been one of your loved ones. In 2016, her body was exhumed for DNA extraction and the Toledo Division of the FBI is now involved in her case, which is great. Maybe they will kind of give some new light into her case. In regards to the image of her that I'm going to use for my episode art, I'm honestly not sure how accurate it is because it's her 
post-mortem image is very pixelated. It was taken in 1975 and so it's black and white and the only one that I could find online is of a excerpt from a newspaper probably and it just sort of looks like a girl sleeping with darker hair and maybe a more wide set nose but you can't see her teeth or anything. I kind of just have to trust the FBI there because it is their sketch according to an article by 21WFMJ. There weren't many theories that you don't always see with Jane and John Doe's, you know, like if they were a hitchhiker or if they were a local to the area. I can almost promise that she wasn't a local to the area. Considering this case is about 45 years old, you would think most locals in the area would have seen her image or have heard about her by now. I don't think I mentioned this, but the area she was found in was very rural, hence why there were duck hunters out there looking at the land. So I don't know if she was a hitchhiker or not. I do agree that it was likely murder because in October in Ohio, it gets very cold there and you don't want to go skinny dipping. And so I don't really think there's a reason for her clothing to have been removed. And also her death wasn't ruled as an accidental drowning. I know that there are differences between the two. I have heard of cases that are ruled as accidental drownings and it doesn't seem like they ruled it as such. And I'm not entirely sure if that was exclusively because of the lack of clothing or what. But something that I did want to mention is I follow a Facebook page called Jane Doe's and Missing 1970s through 1980s. It's a really great page if you are interested in true crime and helping people get found or identified. And I actually find quite a lot of my cases from this Facebook page and a few others. So I highly recommend following them. I always try to give credit where credit is due. And that is how I found this case. But they added a note after they posted about her case on December 1st of 2020. And they updated it to say that a woman contacted the page. The woman said that her friend went to school with a girl in 1970 who fits the description of the Jane Doe. Which does make sense because she could have been in high school just five years before her death. If she was only 20 or even you know like 21 or 22. But the woman's friend said that she only attended the school for one year and she was living in a foster home in Port Clinton, Ohio. And she did contact detectives about her feeling like that it could have been her classmate. So if you do live in Port Clinton, Ohio specifically, please go ahead and take a look at my episode art and see if you recognize this young woman. Maybe she was your friend or something. With the woman saying that her friend was in a foster home, it does make me think that this lead could potentially be substantial because I do feel like people who spent a lot of time in foster homes or people who did live in shelters for a long period in their life do you have more of a chance of being unidentified if they did live a transient lifestyle where they moved around a lot? And back in 1975, there weren't cell phones or anything where you could check in on someone via text message or social media. And so it just made it a lot more easy to be unidentified. 
So I'm interested in seeing where that lead takes detectives. I certainly hope that the FBI is looking into the lead. That would be amazing. But if you do have any information about this Jane Doe, please contact the Ottawa Sheriff's Office at 419-734-4404. Or you can contact the Toledo FBI at 419-243-6122. If that lead doesn't take us anywhere, I do hope they will test her DNA because, again, she did have a child very recently before her death. And to me, that is just so sad. I hope, and I'm sure they have, I'm, I don't claim to be smarter than a detective, but I hope they looked into maybe some adoptions in the area of newborns since she had given birth. And it seems that no one has been looking for a mother of a child or anything. And so that makes me think that possibly the child was adopted or was in the care of the child's father. Well, that is it for this week's episode. I'm sorry it was a shorter one. I definitely needed to have kind of a short and simple case with minimal theories while I prepare for the Walker County Jane Doe case because that one is definitely a doozy. And although this is a lesser known case, please do take all of the precautions that I normally request you to do, such as submitting your DNA to GEDmatch, that's G-E-D, and then the word match.com and also do look at her image to see if she looks familiar to you maybe you or your parents or siblings lived around ottawa county ohio or maybe even ohio in general in 1975 and if so please run the image by them really fast and see if they recognize her because after all that is how a lot of jane and john doe cases get solved all right, guys, I will be back next week. I'm not sure if it will be the Walker County Jane Doe case or if it will be a John Doe case. If you have listened to my podcast before, you know I like to kind of flip back and forth between Jane Doe's and John Doe's to make sure that I'm covering all cases. So I'm honestly not sure, and I do want to make sure that I cover the Walker County Jane Doe case correctly because she means so much to me and... This sounds crazy. I literally cried today about the Walker County Jane Doe case um, and I'm getting choked up about it to this day just because of the way she was treated and how young she was. Um, I'm getting choked up right now about it. So I am going to try to cover it very soon with all of the information that you could possibly need. I would like it to kind of be a really big source for the Walker County Jane Doe case because I have spent so many hours researching her case and it's really hard to find accurate information and also timely information because a lot of the information is outdated and has been proven to be false. Hey, what are you doing? So with that being said, just I'm going to leave you on your toes there for next week's case, but do subscribe wherever you are listening and do follow me on social media. It's at Doe Identify Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to get updates on my episodes and also to be a part of the feedback that I ask about. In fact, today I asked you all if I should just record a different episode or if I should you know, cover part one of Walker County Jane Doe or what I should do. And so your feedback is always very helpful. And if you want to give me feedback as well, please go ahead and check there.
All right, guys, I feel like I've been kind of ranting since I closed out the case, but thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you all next week. A huge thank you to Nyx for helping me bring you today's episode. If you don't know what Nyx is, it is a loungewear company that has absolutely everything you need so you can be comfortable on an everyday basis in your loungewear. Let's be honest, most bras are just so uncomfortable with their sharp wires and their straps that are rarely ever truly adjustable and the lack of extender hooks in the back. NYX has completely changed the game and they are devoted to bringing women comfortable everyday bras and sports bras. I personally have five bras from NYX already and I absolutely love every single one of them. And something that I love about NYX is their accurate representation of women. Let's be honest, not all of our stomachs are smooth and line-free and our legs are not completely airbrushed on an everyday basis and all of their models look just like you and me and it just makes me so happy that they have models who look like normal people and they don't photoshop what their models look like and the texture of their skin and thanks to nyx you can get 15 dollars off whenever you use the link in my show notes so you can get an even more affordable bra from them